Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we read the news, as we think about our lives, as we look at a prophecy like Zephaniah, it uh, reminds us of how, how much, how life can be very overwhelming, how we often have to deal with pressures all around us, economic pressures. Maybe in our own lives we deal a lot with negative thoughts, we have a fear of failure, we're living our lives and we're trying to do what's right and the temptations are, are around us, or maybe we're suffering from discomfort or pain or grief, frustration. And although sometimes it may feel like everyone else is fine and it's just us who are dealing with these discomforts, Statistics suggest that one of three, one in every three Canadians of all ages are suffering with extra anxiety and worry and sorrow and stress and loneliness as a result of all those pressures that they're feeling in their lives. So we, we live a burdened life. The Lord speaks to us in our burdens. And the end of Zephaniah is that wonderful gospel message that he, he speaks to us. It's the voice we hear in the midst of, of all the, the pressures. And I preached to you the gospel of his voice in Zephaniah under the theme, the Lord, your mighty king in your midst, takes away all your fears, all our fears. The Lord knows the pressures and he this is the gospel this is the message he comes to us he says I am in your midst and you do not need to be afraid we'll see that he promises or he restores his church with power and he rejoices over his children with gladness and so when we have the prophecy open before us we could see right away in chapter 3 verse 14 that he's addressing the daughter of Zion and Israel, and the daughter of Jerusalem. And we sang about the children of Zion. That was in Psalm 149. Uh, the promise of the text and the promise of those psalms is, first of all, was given to faithful believers in Judah who were descendants of Israel, Jacob, the father of, of the nation. And they worshipped in the temple, which was in Jerusalem, which was on Mount Zion. And so all these words are referring to that situation. It was known by the people then that the Lord was talking to his people, to his church. But as we saw in the verses before our text, verses 9 to, to 10, and as we sang together in Psalm 87, the Lord promised that the day would come when he would count people from other nations among the list of those who are born in Zion. So the Lord is explaining that the church started with Israel, but it's going to grow and it's going to include people from many nations. In Galatians 4, verses 21 to 31, it was the verses after we, the ones we read, the Holy Spirit explains that how when, when Christ fulfilled the symbols of Mount Sinai and Jerusalem and Zion, 
Then he became the new and living way through which the new covenant people would join up with the old covenant people as part of the bride of Christ, which is called the Jerusalem that is above, the new Jerusalem, Revelation 21. And so although our text speaks in the first place about Judah in the time of Zephaniah, God's promise that he would restore the fortunes of his people, that's how the verses today end, is a promise that is fulfilled many times throughout history until it is finally fulfilled in its most complete form when, we, we will, when the new Jerusalem will, will come down to earth, when, when there's a new heaven and a new earth. And so as we read this prophecy, we need to understand that we are a part of the story. We are a part of the group who is receiving the words of this prophecy. God is speaking to us today in 2023. This isn't a prophecy that's gathering dust somewhere in the the history of the world. God is speaking to us today. And the first thing that God reveals in his promise to restore our fortunes is that he would take away the punishments that we deserve for our sins. He would clear away the enemies. That's in verse 15. Now the first fulfillment of this prophecy, Zephaniah, it took place when God brought an end to the suffering of the Jews who were mourning for the festival because they had been brought into exile. Around, or after around 70 years of exile in Babylon, the Lord did gather his people together again. And at that moment, he changed the shame of exile into praise and renown in all the the earth. And in this gracious work, the Lord revealed how he would also restore the fortunes of everyone who believed in him. It pointed to that that rescue from slavery and shame to new life in him. The Lord we worship today is the the judge of all judges. He is the one who is powerful to look at you and say, I forgive you for your sins. I remove the judgments that you deserve. He can wash you clean of all your sins in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He can and will restore your name and reputation as citizens of his eternal kingdom. And so when we are overwhelmed by our sin and our sorrow and our repeated falling back into temptation, the Lord calls to us, he, he, he makes us look at him with his call. And he tells us, I can remove your judgments. I can wash you clean. You have forgiveness of sins that's real in Jesus Christ. He restores our fortunes by by receiving us back to himself in Christ into peace. God promised that his wrath against the covenant people would subside. And he promised that he would gather his church from, from the remnant out of the grasp of their oppressors. He would save the lame. He would gather the outcast and restore the fortunes of the faithful. And again, although the language that Zephaniah uses is closely connected to the gathering of the remnant of faithful Jews from the exile in the 
dispersion. The prophecy also speaks of the, the general ingathering work that our Lord Jesus also spoke about when he said in John 10, I have other sheep also and I will bring them in also. Or you could think of the parable in Luke 14 where there was a feast and then in, in the parable, the, 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 the man who was throwing the, the, the feast, he said, well now go into the lanes and by the hedges and bring in more people into my, my, my party, into my celebration. And the Lord is always promising that he would be gathering and restoring his church with mighty power by bringing people like us with so many different backgrounds and so many different opinions, bringing people like us together under that one statement of faith in the triune God. And dear brothers and sisters, you can see that, that you are a part of this ongoing work of God that you have received his spirit when you join in with God's restoring work. When you are those who are promoting peace and unity in that church that he has gathered from all the nations. You see, the communion of saints is the work of God through his faithful children. The Lord is, is promising restoration in Zephaniah and we may see this restoration and this gathering today and we may be a part of it. In fact, the Lord calls us to be a part of it. It's a part of his answer to people who are feeling sad or feeling overwhelmed or, or so weak in the face of, of temptations. In answer to our cries the Lord says, I will dwell in your midst and I will bring Christians together, my church together, to support one another and show compassion. So we cry out for help and God shows us a picture of his church as his answer. And the striking thing to notice in our text is that the Lord cares about the fact that some people are mourning because they are unable to celebrate the festival. You can see that in verse 18. There are people who are mourning because they cannot celebrate the festival. And usually when we read about a festival, we right away think of one of the Old Testament feasts like the, the Passover or the Feast of Booths or the in-gathering when everybody was camping together or having a big meal together. But the word for, for festival in this, in this context is, is actually a word that's, that's more general. It's a word to talk about any family or community celebration with a banquet or with, with a party. So the Lord is telling us in this text that he cares about people who are mourning or sad because they're not getting invited to the celebrations or they're unable to be a part of the celebrations. And a part of restoring the fortunes of his people is ensuring that we can enjoy festivities together. And our Lord Jesus also displayed the same thing at the, the, the wedding at, the, at Cana. He, he turned the water into wine. He, he was bringing people back into the joy of being the church of the living God. And the Holy Spirit continues to, to re bring us into this restoring work of God 
And then we see what it is to be a Christian. It's not, it's not something just in our minds, but he, he leads us into this restoration that God promised in Zephaniah by leading us to celebrate together, to enjoy festivities together, to, to send a text to, to somebody maybe you don't know so well, ask how they're, how they're doing. It's the, the work of the Holy Spirit who is restoring the fortunes of his church, who's showing us compassion for those who are mourning or, or feeling overwhelmed with temptations. It's hospitality. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a restoring work of the Holy Spirit that is promised when the Lord described the restoration of the fortunes of his church. And this focus on the restoration of the well-being of all God's people together as an answer to his church who's crying out for his comfort is elaborated on when our mighty king announces that he will bring an end to the suffering of those who are cast out from the circles of the, the people of, uh, from the renown of the world. When our Lord Jesus came, he announced himself to be the great physician. He said, I, I will bring healing to the blind. I'll bring liberty to those who are oppressed. It's in Luke 4, verse 18. And we could see the Holy Spirit continuing to bring this restoration and this healing to his church as we, as we turn to him, as we entrust our lives into his arms, as we, as we reflect on Christ's compassion, which is reflected toward us in the, in the love of the members of Christ's body. And so we see the Lord dwelling in our midst when we're living together in peace and in harmony, and as we're seeking the, the fortune, the well-being of one another, as we rejoice in the forgiveness of all our sins. And in that picture, Zephaniah says, in, in, in that picture we need to understand that, that the Lord is, is like the father who rejoices over his children with gladness. That's the central theme of Zephaniah 3. It's found in the center of our text. And the Lord's announcement that he is in the midst of his church, which he has washed clean in Christ's blood, which he is leading by his Holy Spirit to be focused on bringing joy to one another, we see the promise of Zephaniah 3. The Emmanuel, the God with us promise that characterizes the entire history of God's work, the entire history of redemption, is something that we all know very well. When God says, I will dwell in your midst, you, you, you read that, you think, well, I know that very well. God came down to visit his church in, in, in paradise. He came to speak to Adam and Eve right after the fall into sin. And then God spoke to his church at Mount Sinai. He, he came down to the earth and then he dwelt among his people in the tabernacle and in, in the temple and then after the temple was destroyed, he, he came down shortly after Zephaniah's ministry into earth as his own, the own, his own son, his, his son of God came to earth. He took on our human flesh. Christmas is the celebration of the son of God taking on our human nature and our human flesh and dwelling in our midst. That's a fulfillment of the promise 
that we have in our text today in Zephaniah 3. The Lord is in your midst. He will dwell among you. And he is very clearly the, the mighty king who dwells in our midst. And we could see that again very clearly in, in Christ, the Son of God coming to earth as that promised descendant of King David, that the kingly ruler of heaven and earth now dwelling among us, but surprising us for his humility. He came gentle and lowly, riding on the foal of a donkey, as the prophet Zechariah had said. And his disciples recognized that he was a king and even called him as a king, like in John 1, verse 49. But he died being mocked, his kingship rejected. But Christ showed himself to be that fulfillment of the promise when he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. So when we, we hear of the mighty king dwelling among us today as a promise, we see that. We see Christ in heaven now pouring out his Holy Spirit to dwell right in our very hearts. And so Christmas and Pentecost, they point forward to the promise of Revelation 21 when God will dwell make his dwelling among people on this earth in an eternal kingdom of peace. And these events all fulfill the words of our text. The Lord says, I am the mighty king and I will dwell in your midst. And so you do not need to fear. And then we, we read some of the, the most beautiful words of love that we can find in scripture to describe our relationship to the Lord as we come to verses 16 and 17. It's one of the most special gems of the entire scriptures. If you're, as a family, if you're memorizing text and, and you should do that, choose, choose this text. Have, ha, let us as families walk around with, with these words in our mind so we understand the God we worship. Zephaniah describes the descent of the Lord, our divine king, in vivid pictures by picturing it as a parent coming to comfort a little helpless child. The mighty, powerful king, you can imagine him, him coming into the house, opening the door, and, and here's the mighty warrior, and he walks into the, the little helpless child's room, and, and he looks in, in the crib, and, and he sees the baby, and that fierce warrior, his face changes, like a parent's face would change when he looks upon his son or his daughter lying there. The mighty one's eyes, as we read these verses, are, are soft and they are kind. They're full of love. They're, they're the eyes of a parent who delights to just look at their child lying there. We are to remember the gladness that fills a parent's eyes just to see his child when we think about how God smiles with joy when he sees you or, or me, when he sees his, his children in Jesus Christ. We sang about that in Psalm 149, a God who finds joy, who treasures his church. The Lord, the mighty king, he exalts over his church. He exalts over the child with loud singing, like a, like a parent who's cheering to see a little child now crawling or now maybe running or playing in a first competition. 
The Lord delights in his church. Just as God looked down upon his own son that he sent into the world to be born in humiliation in the stable in the town of Bethlehem, so God looks down upon all those who are united to his son by true faith. Jesus Christ is one with those who believe. We are identified together with Christ in this, in this prophecy. God looks down upon us as he looks down upon his only begotten son. Just like Mary looked down upon her firstborn son in the manger whom she knew to be the son of God. And just like we look down upon our covenant children who receive the promises of being adopted as God's children. Although he is fierce with his and our enemies, read the first part of Zephaniah. He is a loving parent who responds to our cries, who hears our complaints by soothing us with the assurance that he forgives our sins, that his judgments are taken away, that there is nothing left that we need to fear. There is nothing in all the world that can separate us from his love. He is the mighty king. We are his children and he delights in us. He has removed our sins. He has removed our loneliness. He has defeated our enemies. He carries our burdens. There's nothing left we need to fear. And in his grace, like a parent, he tells us. He tells us this in Zephaniah. And Zephaniah helps us to understand exactly what it means that God has become our Father through Jesus Christ. When we think of, of God, we need to think of Zephaniah 3, verses 16 and, and 17. That's the picture of the Father that we worship. Maybe we've had different experiences in our lives, but Zephaniah 3 tells us that God isn't a demanding Father with a list of things that we have to do to please him, to get his approval and his delight. He isn't a fickle father whose mood and behavior is impossible to predict. He isn't a cold father who just lets us cry ourselves to sleep. He isn't a critical father who rebukes us every time that he talks to us. He isn't a weak father who is unable to keep us safe. He isn't an absent father who hardly knows us. He isn't a worthless father that no one respects. Look at the verses. Not at all. He is almighty and powerful and holy in his, in his majesty. We, we, we boast in his name. He is just in the world. He is extremely merciful to his undeserving children. Our heavenly father is faithful to his church through the ages. He forgives our sins. He protects us from the evil one. And he delights in us. He delights in our well-being. There's nothing we need to fear. When the Lord, your mighty king, descends to dwell with you, it is said, verse 16, 
Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. Do not let despair hinder you in your task. Paul says the same thing. Do not be anxious about anything. Rejoice in the Lord. You may still be hearing the taunts of God's enemies. You might be feeling the, the heat of their attacks. But the mighty one, the holy God is standing up in your midst. Shh. He is singing song of his love for you. He is singing of how he has protected you. He is singing with exaltation about what he has made you. Fear not, O children of God, for though he punishes the arrogant who persist in their sins and their rebellion, the holy God has washed away your sins, made you holy in Jesus Christ. God has done everything. His children do not need to fear, even when we see how weak and helpless we are. Bethaniah, prophet, tells his church, shh, you do not need to fear. You do not need to, to listen to those voices that you might hear, maybe from outside, maybe from inside, that you're not worthy to receive such love. The Lord himself has crossed the gap for your sake, even in your weaknesses and tears. Your heavenly Father loves you together with his own Son, Jesus Christ. And you who feel, maybe have even been told, you can never do enough. You, helpless baby in the faith, you cry for peace with God and with your neighbor. He tells us he loves you. That's the gospel message. Our mighty king comes down to dwell in our midst, in our lives, in our homes, in our hearts. Let that sink in. Let's sink in a bit. You feel how that brings peace to your heart? See how that brings peace, even in the midst of serious illness, such a fight against temptations. When we lift our eyes to the Lord, he says, I am with you. Stand in your midst. That's why the passage we read begins with that call to the faithful. To sing aloud. And then read, read the words that sing aloud and shout and rejoice and exalt with all your heart. How, how, how else can we respond when the Lord reaches down in such depth of love? Just as it was when God first created the world and he gave the woman to the man, once the Lord has restored the fortunes of his remnant church after her time of persecution, we sing in eager delight as we seek to manifest that same love he has shown to us, to the burdened the lonely, the weeping, and the outcast. The prophet uses several words expressing the fullness of our joy, the fullness of our, our desire to always praise the Lord in thanksgiving with our songs, with our lives. You see what the Lord has done to you who believe. 
Do you see how he is with you? And are you singing? Are you singing of his love? Are you singing even in the midst of the tears with celebration and feasting? Because you know that you as his children are in his powerful hands and he delights in you. He calls you, come to him, all who are weary, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen.